This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. As you guys know, I closed out 2018 under the theme, Living Inside Out. And it was all about knowing who we are in Christ, recognizing what he's placed within us, what he's called us to do, and then living it out. That's the idea, right? Well, we then started the year talking about seasons, right? Man, I can't get this in the right place, can I? Keep hearing my own breath. Um, we start off talking about seasons, recognizing where God has brought us, uh, recognizing that there's going to be change along the way, right? We can't try to recapture the past. That never goes well, does it? Um, we got you know, to realize that where we go from here at this point in our life is not based on circumstances. It's not based on whether or not we're accepted. It's not based on whether or not things go our way. It's entirely our choice how we respond to God and to the circumstances in life, right? Our choices are what determine where we end up and where we go. We know that we're not promised that things will go easy. Things will, we're not promised that things will go our way. As a matter of fact, we know that sometimes things will be difficult and we'll be tempted to wonder if we can even make it through this time. But as believers who've surrendered our lives to Christ, uh, you know, there's one cool thing. It's the fact that we serve a master who has overcome the world. It's good news to me. I don't know. And we've got to recognize that even when we're going through tough times, Really, all we've got to do is trust him and follow him out of it. Better than that, he promises that if we continue to follow him, that he'll use all that junk that happens, and it'll end up working to our benefit. How cool is that? What better can you ask? Two weeks ago, Pastor Bob started this series talking uh, you know, about standing firm, and I'm going to continue it for the next couple of weeks. And, uh, but I, I want to kind of set up for a moment where I'm going to go from here. Um, how many of you know that today our culture is making it increasingly difficult to, uh, to live the Christian life and to, and to walk out God's mission in the earth? I think for really the first time in the United States, there's a little bit of pressure. We don't recognize how easy we've got it, even now, compared to much of the world. But our culture is making it more difficult. And that's why I want to do this series on standing firm. Now, I told you guys back last fall that I, had, uh, that I had read a book, and I want to bring that back up because I actually got back into it a couple of weeks ago. It was a book by Pastor Chris Hodges called The Daniel Dilemma. And I encourage you guys, if you, if you want to dig deeper, I encourage you to, to write that down, uh, the name of that book, and, and, and look it up. But it's called The Daniel Dilemma. It's, it's subtitled, How to Stand Firm and Love Well in a Culture of Compromise. Does that sound good? It's a difficult one sometimes, isn't it? We see the things going on around us. We wonder how, sometimes how to respond in love. Sometimes it seems like no matter how loving we do respond, it's never good enough, right? So the topic of this book is something that I've been mulling around for a few years. Uh, how many of you know that our culture today does not embrace God's values? Isn't it true? Y'all quiet today. Our culture today does not embrace God's values. Like what? I started just making a list. How about just basic morals? That innate knowing within every human being of right and wrong. Morals aren't just being ignored. Morals are being denounced. It's being said that there are no, ab no absolute morals. R moral relativity is what seems to be ruling our culture today. What's right for you is right for you. What's right for me is right for me. Don't judge. We have professors in universities today that are pointing at ISIS and these terrorists and going, well, they're doing what they believe is right, so I can't judge them. They're slaughtering people. I don't know, but the innate sense within me says that's wrong. Doesn't matter what they think. So people that may be defending their position but many are living with shame because I believe inside we all have a God-given innate sense of right and wrong. I was thinking about commitment. 
People today are very slow to commit to anything, and usually when they are willing to commit, it's after balancing out very carefully what they can benefit from it. Isn't that true? I was thinking about faithfulness, loyal, unchanging, steadfast, unswerving, firm, steady. Generally, people today, they can be faithful until something better catches their interest. I was thinking about follow-through. Finishing what I started and finishing well. Rarely do people finish what they start, and when they do, they finish it good enough. I was thinking about being genuine. How many of you can agree that most people, even Christians today, have a mask on? Come on, seriously. Dreadfully scared to show their true self. Don't, we don't want anybody to know we're not perfect, that we don't have it all together. Weakness can't show. And I was mentioning this in the men's group last Tuesday. Uh, social media has made this so easy because we can frame our lives. It's like writing who we are on a poster and holding it up for everybody to see. This is who I am as we hide behind it. This is, look at what I ate today. Look at this nice restaurant I ate at. Look at, look at this person that I blessed. Hallelujah. Right? We can frame it completely within social media, what we want people to see of our lives. Um, how about honor? Treating others with admiration and respect, regarding others higher than ourselves. Our society is so inwardly focused that honor has become a rarity. What about Forgiveness. Even many Christians today have no problem holding on to offense. I, I heard a Christian recently say, I will never forgive this person for what they've done. I just thought, oh my Lord. Community, we've been talking about. All these other things are part of the reason we've lost a sense of community. People make decisions and judgments today based in opinions. Most people, I talked about this last Sunday night, most people aren't even interested in the truth. How many of you know the leaders of our land, they skew the truth to, only to their advantage? They'll use the truth, but just the part that works to their advantage. That's why every time any politician speaks, somebody comes up behind them and they're the fact checker. Right? Doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on, fact checker. Let's see what the facts really are. I have to do that all the time. We live in a society that cares about number one. It's all about me. True? Um, so with this, these things are some of the reasons that we find the church in a difficult position today. We talk about standing firm as the body of Christ. You all know the message of Jesus is not very popular today in our society. And it's not going to be popular as long as those shouting the message are living contrary to the message, right? Wow, we have to walk it out? <laughs> we have to walk it out. I think um, because of this, you know, many times the church is compromised just like the world. And because of this, we're swayed from our firm foundation, the storms of, and waves of life come along, and they knock us around a bit, and instead of standing firm, we find ourselves drifting to the left and the right because of it. We're trying to keep one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world. You know, I was thinking about the people, think about the people in history that are most uh, respected and remembered. You know the reason they're so respected and remembered? It's because they didn't compromise. It's because they stood firm. They weren't popular during that time. Many times they were assassinated. And years later, they're highly regarded. Why? Because they stood firm. Obviously, Jesus is our greatest example. On almost every list, even secular lists, he's at the top. Most influential person in history on earth. He went against the norms of what was culturally accepted. He stood firm from the very beginning. He was unmoved when it came to the storms of life. He stood firm on a love that was greater, that was older than time. And even on the cross, love was just spilling out of him. That's unheard of, is it not? 
Last week, you know, I mentioned, um, last week at the, at the unity service, I mentioned Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. He refused to allow things to continue the way they had been for hundreds of years. He stood firm against it. He refused to be a victim. He stood firm no matter what came his way. Violence, death threats. He attempted assassinations before he was actually murdered. He was going to stand for what was righteous no matter what the cost. And I think this is part of the reason younger generations today are some of the younger generations today. Well, I think this is part of the reason that some of the younger generations today are so lost. How many of you know that we were created to have a cause? We were created to have purpose. We were created to stand for something. Today, I don't think many people can even comprehend this idea. People wouldn't even know where to start. Which brings me to us individually as the church of Jesus. How can we hold fast and stand firm in a world that has basically abandoned the idea completely? I came up with three things. And these are going to be in your notes. They, they will be the answers to one, two, and three on your note sheets in your service guides. But you can just wait a minute. We'll get to them in a minute. I think the answer to standing firm is, one, we must know who we are. That sounds easy. Anybody who's been a believer for any length of time can say, oh, yes, well, I'm a child of God. Right? Number two, we have to know what we worship. And number three, we have to know who we serve. But if we have one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the world, then we'll never be able to steady ourselves and stand firm. I had a mental picture of this as I was writing it down. Have any of you ever tried to step into a boat, especially something small like a canoe or kayak, off of a dock into the water? You're, you're, Y'all know what I'm talking about? And you imagine standing with one foot in a canoe and one on a dock. You got one foot that's solid and one that's not. Reality is a four-year-old come up and push you and you're going over. Right? We may know who we're supposed to be. We may know who we're supposed to worship. And we may know who we're supposed to serve. But how do you know it's not good enough? At some point, we have to determine who we are. We have to determine who we will worship. We have to determine who we will serve. You know, I was born and raised in the church, pretty much. But this was always a weakness for me. I was born knowing that I was a child of God. I was born knowing that we worship God and worship God alone. And I was born knowing that we serve God and God alone. But how many of you know, you know, where it's not just the answer, I'm a child of God. You become rooted, you determine, you take on that answer. And you begin to step into it and you begin to walk as that person that you've always been told, you've always read about. You, does this make any sense? I, I didn't know if it was clear when I was putting it down. I was just like, Holy Spirit, make it clear to him because I don't know. <laughs> we have to determine who we will be. We have to determine who we will worship. And we've got to choose who we will serve. Every Christian has to come to that, have to come to that determination. So these are the three things I want to talk about today. And I'm posing them as questions, but I want you to understand that you're the only person that can answer, that can come to the determination of the answers to these questions. It's not something you can just pull out of your rear end. You've got to make a determination. This is who I will be. This is who I will worship. And this is who I will serve. Guys, the church is full of people who haven't answered these three questions. They can say the right thing, but in reality, they haven't come to these determinations. These answers are the determinations that you make regarding your life, and the answers to these questions will determine your future. These answers will determine whether you're able to stand firm or whether you're knocked around by the waves of life. It's all about identity. 
This is what determines your ability to stand firm. So again, I, I, I recommend, before I jump into those three points, again, I highly recommend Chris Hodges' book, The Daniel Dilemma. Um, some of the things I'm, I'm communicating today are things that I learned from that and, you know, when I read it last year and, and started going back through it a couple weeks ago. But let's just start with number one. Like I say, you can follow along in your note sheet or the Version Bible app um, online. Um, number one, who am I? Who am I? Sounds like an easy question. But if you haven't come to that place of determination, do you know the world will define it for you? That's why we're swayed. Because we may be able to answer it with our mouth, but we haven't determined it with our heart and set our will and our mind to it. Thus, the world comes in and the world defines for us who we are. Our society is trying to mold every person into the same image. They're creating what they want out of us. They want us to look a certain way, to talk a certain way, to have certain interests. The world is actively pursuing, defining who every person is. And we're going to go to Daniel for a minute. And you can follow along your notes or, or get in your Bible. But uh, just, just uh, in Daniel chapter 1, we're just going to hit a few verses here. But in Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, it says, The king ordered... Ashpenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. So Babylon had gone in, conquered, and took captives, right? And he says, select only strong, healthy, and good-looking young men, and make sure they're well-versed in every branch of learning. And they're gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in the literature, language and literature of Babylon. And then if you jump down to verse 7 now, Daniel, it says, it's talking about the three young men, four young men. Y'all know who we're talking about now. Daniel, uh, in, in chapter 1, verse 7, it says, The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar. Hanani was called Shadrach. Mishael was called Meshach, and Hazariah was called Abednego. Y'all get what they're doing here? They're defining who these four young men are. And you'll see, if you look in your notes, or I think it'll be on the screen, let's look at their names real quick. So you had Daniel. His name meant God is my judge. But his name was changed to Bel protect the king. Now, Bel was a Babylonian god, and they all actually also believed that Belshazzar, that name was actually, in, uh, it was actually feminine. So now everywhere Daniel goes, he's being called by this new name that's a name that went from being a man accountable to God of, to, God, to that that's feminine, trusting a false god to protect the king of Babylon. Do you see the difference? Look at Hananiah. Hananiah meant Yahweh has been gracious. And he was renamed Shadrach, which means I'm fearful of God. Some of y'all first hear that, I'm fearful of God, and we're like, oh, that sounds good. No, no, fearful. Not I, not I, have a, not I'm, I fear God. Fearful of God. They changed his name from one viewing God as gracious to one who is fearful of a cruel and harsh God. And it was the God that he grew up serving, capital G God. Michel meant, who can compare to my God? No one. It was called Meshach. I am despised, contemptible, and humiliated. This is what they're being called everywhere they go, Right? They changed his name from one with confidence in God to one of cowardice. They took his focus from God to focus on self. And then lastly, Azariah means Yahweh has helped. And it was changed to Abednego, which means a servant of Nebo. Nebo was also a Babylonian god. He was a god of wisdom. Azariah's name was changed from one honoring God to the servant of a foreign false god. Sounds like something out of a movie, doesn't it? They're trying to brainwash them. They're changing their language. Uh, other versions actually refer to that they actually were training them in the ways of mysticism and magic, which was forbidden. Young men were, they were served. 
They were trying to change who these young men were. They're reprogramming them. They're getting them while they're young. They're changing their identity. They begin again telling them who they will be. They remove their old life and what they were told and raised in and making them their servants. And it sounds very unfortunate and bizarre, but the reality is we're experiencing the same things in the earth today. The world is trying to define who you will be. Our culture tries to redefine everything. Gender, relationships, marriage, things that weren't questioned for thousands and thousands of years of history. Suddenly, our society is trying to redefine it. Things that were solid, things that were once inherent to who we are became flexible and up for debate. We're told that qualities that God created in us can be shaped to suit whatever we want. The question is, who are you? Our society, how many of you would agree with this? Our society tries to make anybody remaining faithful to God today seem foolish. We see it everywhere, right? They go all out to discredit people who are followers of Christ. And if the devil can, he will take every opportunity to discredit the Bible. He will take every opportunity to disgrace the church through divisiveness, through division, through dissension, through immorality. And as a result, I believe many, if not most Christians today, have become intimidated by the world because they're questioning who they are. How many of you would agree that we've all had people in our lives who have tried to place labels on us at some point or another? Somebody may have said, you're a disappointment. You'll never measure up. Why aren't you more like your sibling?" You're just slow. You're retarded. You're unlovable. People try to place labels on us. The world tries to place labels on us. I had a young man, some of you would, uh, some of you would know, that um, was a part of our church for quite a few years. And um, his entire life, he had dealt with same-sex attraction. And he was sitting down with me talking one day, and he just in tears expressed his, his, he was talking about the hurt and stuff from his father that he'd experienced growing up. And his earliest memories of his father, as young, back, as young as he could remember, was his father calling him by the name Faggot. Think it makes a difference? Labels on ourselves. Sometimes we even place labels on ourselves. We make mistakes, things don't turn out the way we thought, and we say, I am so stupid. I'll never amount to anything. I'll always be broke. I'll never have a relationship that lasts. True? Does it really matter? Does it really mold somebody's life? Proverbs 23, 7 says, for as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. We've got to be careful of labels. We've got to be careful what's going into our hearts. Now, does this mean that other people are responsible for where we end up? No, it doesn't. Their words weren't what changed the course of your life. The reality is we didn't know who we are, who we were. And in that moment, we took that label and we made it part of our identity. You may say, well, my dad always said I was stupid and I would never amount to anything. And look, I haven't. You received those words. Maybe in a weak moment. And you added them to your identity. And thus, maybe you find yourself in a place where you feel like you haven't accomplished anything in life. Well, we always say that everybody has a purpose, but I love something Pastor Chris Hodges said. He said, purpose is your identity in action. Some of you might need to write that down. Purpose is your identity in action. So, if you identify yourself as rejected, broke, alone, stupid, unappreciated, disappointed, then these are the purposes that you've put into action in your life because you don't know who you are.
your identity becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Does this make sense? This is why we get knocked around by the waves of life. This is why we can't stand firm. We must determine our identity before another label is placed on our lives. We've got to determine our identity before another person makes us feel foolish for our convictions and pursuits. We've got to determine our identity before another person questions where we're going, what we're doing. If you don't claim your identity, the world's going to claim it for you. You may be in a place where maybe you know your identity. It's easy maybe living with one foot, but you haven't determined or set your mind to that identity. You may be living with one foot in the kingdom and one foot in the world, one foot on the dock and one foot on the canoe. Maybe your whole world is rocked every time a wave hits your life. It's an identity issue. It's time for us to make a decision. Who are we? Who will we be? Does this make sense? So number one is who am I? i got to make that decision. Number two, who will I worship? Who will I worship? Maybe I should have said what will I worship? Because increasingly today it's not a person, it's a thing or it's stuff. The truth is, I think you all would agree that we all worship something. Every human being to walk on the face of the earth worships every day, whether they know it or not. We worship something. What is worship? Worship is our response to what we value the most in life. Worship is our response to what we value the most. So again, like our identity, if we don't determine what we will worship, then our culture, our society, will determine it for us. How do I know what I worship? Guys, it's easy. What we worship, we leave a trail of what we worship behind us. Everywhere we go, we leave a trail. You want to know what you worship? Follow the trail of your time and your affections and your energy and your money and your loyalty, and you'll very quickly find out what it is that you worship in this life. Those those things will give it away. Follow the trail of your time, your affection, your energy, your money, and your loyalty. I was thinking, you know, out of all of creation, we were the only beings on the face of the earth that were created or even really have the ability to worship. You realize that? I mean, we have our pets and stuff, and they, they love us, and they love our food, but they don't worship us, right? Somebody else comes along and offers them the same treat, they're going to be excited, right? <laughs> created to We were the only part of creation that was made to worship. We were created to worship and bring glory to the Creator. Because of that, we all worship something. And the reality is, we will never be satisfied We will never be fulfilled. We will never be empowered for our purpose as long as we worship anything other than God. I want to mention just for just a minute, there are three false gods that are repeatedly mentioned over and over again in the Bible. And uh, I, I just want to look at these three false gods for just a minute. First, you guys have heard talked about here before is the spirit of mammon. Say the spirit of mammon. The spirit of mammon is the God of never enough. Does that sound like our culture today? The God of never enough. It's all about possessions. It's all about greed. Today, it's our obsession to pursue things trying to attain happiness. How many of you know it's okay to have things? The problem is when things have you. So the first thing is the spirit of mammon. Can we agree that it's alive and well today in the earth? Number two is the god Baal. Y'all heard of Baal, right? Baal was the god of power. He was the root of all pride. Baal says, I don't need God. I can control my own life. 
It, it really is about control. How many of you know that we live in a busy society, and really what we're trying to do with our busy lives is we're trying to be in control. We feel that we can control our lives by staying busy. That's why today people are workaholics, have out-of-control schedules. We drive fast. We eat in our cars. We're always scanning for texts and emails. And most of us only spend a few minutes a day with our children, our spouses, and even less with God. It's the God Baal. Thirdly, it's the God Asherah, the goddess of pleasure. Specifically, in ancient times, she was the, the, it was the sensual pleasures of the flesh. This God has been around for a very long time. She was Venus to the Romans and Aphrodite to the Greeks. And she was about the sensual desires of the flesh. I don't think I need to give statistics on rape and human, traf- human trafficking and, and, and pornography and all that for us to know that worship of this God is alive and well in our society today. Another thing I recognized in this, do you realize that these three things, these are what Jesus was tempted with by the, by the enemy? Remember when Satan said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread, right? It's the God Asherah. Break your fast to God and please your appetite, right? He said, Satan said, all of this I'll give you if you will bow down. I'll give you everything. It's the God of the spirit of mammon. Never enough. And lastly, um, I missed one. Your God. Um, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down. It's Baal. You're in control. Show your power. Does this make sense? Who do you worship? Who do you worship? Where is your worship? If you haven't determined what you will worship, then the culture will determine it for you. And the enemy is using our society to get us to compromise what we stand for. When he does this, he ends up driving a wedge between our convictions and our worship. And then we're truly not standing firm. We know that even though they tried to change him, Daniel knew who he was and he stood firm. We know that he gained influence in the royal court. We know who he was worshiping because he wouldn't bow down. He prayed despite the law that was passed, right? And so in, um, we, we know that they were, the people, some of the people were trying to take him out. They plotted to kill him. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 5, it says, So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Daniel was so planted in his identity in his convictions, and in his worship, that they couldn't find any kind of fault against him. He was unmoved. He wasn't shaken. He was standing firm in a foreign country that tried to change his identity. That tried to pass laws to force him to compromise who he was and what he worshipped. They finally found that that was the only thing they could go after. It's the only thing that they could truly count on with Daniel was his worship. So they went after his worship. Um, I was thinking about that. If we were put on trial for worshiping God, after all the investigations, would we be found guilty? Nothing will satisfy us like worshiping God. This is why the enemy works so hard to try to divert and try and distract our worship to anything else than the Lord. And how many of you know the enemy doesn't come dressed in a red suit and horns? He comes dressed in what we want and what our flesh desires. Thus, capturing our worship. So we have to be careful what we choose. Pastor Chris Hodges said, we become like what we worship. If you don't like what you've become, I encourage you to take inventory of your heart. Repent and restore him to the throne of your heart. Make him the focus of your worship. So one, we've got to determine who we are. Two, we've got to determine who we will worship. And thirdly, who will I serve? We must determine who we will serve. 
as the body of Christ, we get so worked up so often by what we see and by what we hear. Especially as a, as a pastor, as a leader in the church, you get asked questions regularly. People say, well, what, do you, well, what do you think about that latest Supreme Court ruling? What do you think about this person that got elected to office? What do you think about the increasing violence? What do you think about this new New York you know, abortion law? What do you think about what this celebrity said? How do we respond to the LGBT community? You get asked all these questions. I hate to break it to you, but it doesn't really matter what I think. Doesn't really matter. Doesn't really matter. The only opinion that matters is God's. We live in a society that serves self. And we get caught in this trap of believing that our opinion matters. Guys, it's a trap. Really, it's a trap that Lucifer got caught in. It's pride. We think that our opinion matters. It's all part of this self-sufficiency that our community, that our culture promotes. That I don't need anybody. I don't need God. I'm going to go it alone. I'm a self-made man. We want to be in control. We don't, want to, we don't want to depend on anybody. We don't want to commit to anything. We serve only one person, and that's ourselves. The only way to overcome pride in our lives is to turn from being self-sufficient to being God-dependent. We've got to give him credit for everything because we recognize that we are simply stewards of his many blessings. What if instead of complaining and worrying about the news we hear, we actually followed the word and trusted God? 2 Chronicles 7.14 says, y'all know this, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I'll forgive their sin, and I'll heal their land. We want to hang on to that promise of the Lord to heal our land. But it's also one of those if-then statements, right? There's a lot of ifs there, actually. There's a lot of ifs. If you turn from your pride, if you humble yourself, by the way, humility, humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking of yourself less. Does that make sense? If you turn from your pride, if you humble yourself, if you pray, if you seek God, if you repent, if you turn from your sin, then God will heal, hear and heal our land. I don't think most of the church has tried this. We just get flipped out by the news, post a smart statement on social media, and get worked up and angry. What if we actually stopped and prayed? What's one of the biggest things that I think would bring change? Firstly, I think just recognizing God is who he is and praying trusting him. I'm not just talking about praying when things get tough. I'm talking about praying regardless of what's happening. In this, we're constantly recognizing who is in charge and who we serve. Another thing that will bring change is if we as believers actually lived a life that honored God. If we live first, guys, we got to recognize that we're not citizens of this kingdom. We're citizens of a heavenly kingdom. So we recognize that we live first according to the law of heaven, of the heavenly kingdom. And then anything we do here on earth, we can do as long as it honors God. But we're not of this kingdom. What honors God first? How about not allowing feeling, emotion, and opinions to rule? How about not worrying about what's fair and actually trusting that God is just? How about making godly choices? We have to let our choices lead and our feelings follow. Last week, um, those of you who are reading through the Chronological Bible with us this year, um, we were, we, we've been reading in Leviticus. Man, that's a, that's a fun book. Man. Reading in Leviticus. And... Um, Reading about how God gave the commands to Moses about the tabernacle, right? 
And uh, how many of you that were reading along this week got to the point where, um, you know, he, he appoints Aaron and his sons as priests and gives them the commands on what to do and what not to do. And right there at the beginning, two of his sons, uh, they didn't obey God's commands. And what happened? They were immediately consumed in fire. <laughs> Laying there, burned up. You know what got me the most in that? Was God told Aaron, do not mourn. You're on duty and serving in the tabernacle. I thought, Lord Jesus. That's really answering the question, who do I serve? I see my son's two smoldering bodies on the ground. I, I, I know who I'm serving. I don't have time to be angry, to mourn. Now look, I don't believe God's generally going to ask that of us today. But what if he did? Who do you serve? Obviously, Aaron knew who he served. And there was probably a little bit of fear in that moment, too. <laughs> who do you serve? People think that this thinking, that it's unfair and unjust. But I won't get what I want if I do things God's way. You know what? You don't generally get what you want anyway. No matter how hard you try and plan, half the time it doesn't go your way anyway. Your control fails probably more than 50% of the time. What if we actually try to, want, try to serve the one who set this up in the first place? The one who put the stars in place with the fingers of his hand. The one who intricately designed our bodies, who planned our lives and gave us purpose. I think we would have a better chance of seeing things go the way they're supposed to. It all goes back to that crucified with Christ thing in Galatians. We have to crucify self. 1 Corinthians 15, 31, Paul said, I die daily. We have to die every day to our way, to our pride, to our habits. And we have to live for him. Is it God that you serve? How far will you go to prove it? Rejection? Or into a fiery furnace? Those four young men went on to prove who they served. And thousands of years later, we're reading their story. Because they stood firm. We live in a world that wants to claim us. But guys, we don't have to let it. We have everything that we need to pass any test that we may face in this life. We have to trust God and we have to run forward in courage. We have to determine within ourselves, beyond words, beyond head knowledge, we have to determine who we are. We have to determine who we worship. And we've got to determine who we will serve. You're being knocked around by the waves of life? Is your footing unstable? Are you, not, are you not seeing God move in your life? And I would ask you, have you made the decision that you are who God says you are? And that you'll cooperate with it? That's the problem, isn't it? Have you made the decision that you will worship God and God alone and that nothing else in this world is remotely worthy? Have you made the decision that you'll serve God no matter what your eyes see, no matter what your ears hear, no matter the pain you may feel, no matter how much your flesh protests, that you'll serve the one living God? As we come to these determinations, we will stand firm and there is nothing that will knock us over in this world. Amen? These decisions will cause you to stand on the rock doesn't matter if a tsunami comes your way. You will not be moved because you know who you are, who you worship, and who you serve. Let me get the worship team to come up. If y'all would stand to your feet. I'm going to conclude next week. I'm going to take it a, a step further into a couple more things next week. But let's just, let's just close our eyes for a minute. 
Guys, I just pray that the Holy Spirit has been touching areas of your heart through this. Doesn't matter if you've been a believer for 90 years. Hopefully you've humbled yourself to such a place to recognize that you've still got further to go. There's still more the Lord needs to do in your life, in your heart. And hopefully you're open to that. Before we move further in that, let me, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here and you just recognize first off that, you know what, my life isn't even surrendered to Christ. I've, I've, never, I've never truly surrendered who I am. I've always defined who I am. I've always worshipped what I wanted. I've always served my own desires. If that's where you find yourself in that place and answering those questions that way, and this is your moment, you need to surrender to the Lord. You need to to do it today. You don't need to wait another moment. Your eternal destiny hangs in the balance. Yeah, it's, it's certainly a heaven and hell issue. Most certainly. Guys, you don't want to be separated from God when you take your last breath on this earth. But beyond that, he promises that we surrender our life to him, that we'll be infused with his life, that we become a new creation. And it doesn't start when we get to heaven. It starts right then in that moment that you make that heart decision that I surrender my life and my will to the living God and I'm going to follow him to the end. Your life changes. Yeah, you'll still go through struggles. You're going to walk through some hard times. But you're going to walk step in step with him and you're going to follow his footsteps out of that and he will be your deliverer and he will show himself strong on your behalf and he will endue you with strength and endurance to run the race that's laid out before you. Every head bowed, if that's you and you would say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus today, just lift your hand up. Nobody's looking around at you. You're not going to stand out. I just Let me see your hand. If that's you and you would say, I need to surrender today. I've got to surrender my life to Jesus. All right. We're going to pray a prayer together. And if that's you and, and, and you recognize, whether, whether you lifted your hand or not, you recognize that I've got to make a change. I've got to change the direction of my, of my worship and who I serve. I've got to put Jesus first and you're ready to do that today, then this is for you. And I'm going to ask you, we're all going to pray this prayer. We're going to pray it out loud together. So join in with us. Mean it with all your heart. And the Lord is going to do a work in your life right now. It's going to change things forever. Let's all pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to come and pay the price for my failings. I'm so thankful that he took my place, that he died in my place, that he was separated from the Father so that I wouldn't have to be. And so today, Lord, I repent. I change my ways. I choose to follow you with all my heart. Jesus, I call you Lord of my life. I believe that you are who you say you are. You're my Messiah. You're my deliverer. And I will follow you all the days of my life. Lord, change me from the inside out. Fill me with your spirit. Holy Spirit, lead me. Guide me. Empower me. In Jesus' name. Lord, I will follow you all the days of my life. And I will step into my purpose. I will step into my God-given destiny to show you love and glory and praise all the days of my life. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. If that was you and you surrendered your heart to the Lord today, whether you raise your hand or not, I'm going to encourage you to come up. You can come up in just a moment when our prayer partners are down here. We're going to sing one more song. When they do, our prayer partners will be up. And I encourage you to come down and talk to one of them. Or you can talk to me for just a moment. I'll be up here in front of the stage as the service ends. But guys, I just want us to press into worship. I want us to sing one more song together before we dismiss. And I am, I'm going to go ahead and call our elders and pastors down to the sides. Um, and our, our prayer partners. If, if you have a prayer need of any kind, maybe you just recognize that you have to have a heart change. 
you recognize that in answering these questions, that you've always been able to say the right answers, but your heart hasn't always been behind it. And you're ready to make that determination and set your will that you're going to be who God says you are. That you're going to worship him and worship him alone. And that you're going to serve him and him alone all the days of your life. Maybe you're, maybe you need prayer because you're dealing with sickness. Man, I, I know a lot of families that are still dealing, struggling, fighting to get through some of the sickness and these things that are, that are going around right now. Guys, we don't have to walk in that. We're not submitted to sickness and disease. And so I encourage you, I believe that as you come down, if that's you, if you come down and you meet one of these prayer partners, we're believing that God is going to touch and heal your body right now in Jesus' name. Are you all in agreement? We're going to sing this one more time as we do. Y'all press in. Press in. Meditate on what the Lord has done in your life. Reaffirm these decisions within yourself. And let's give him worship and honor and praise. Amen. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You